The word of God says in Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. This is the word of the Lord. As we walk into this fifth plague, this fifth plague, uh, we see uh, we, we, we see a, a, yet another attack, another pouring out of God's wrath on the uh, people of Egypt and specifically on the heart of Pharaoh. It reminds me of an illustration um, from this week. I was uh, flying with my family and my three-year-old daughter Haven uh, asked me some question on the plane and I answered. And she responds with a bit of a louder voice saying, why? And I gave her the answer again, what she had just asked me. And a third time she goes in a louder voice and it's getting kind of loud in the cabin. She's like, Daddy, but why? And I realized that she couldn't hear me at all. I keep answering her question. I kept giving her the answer that she wanted, but she had her pink headphones on, and therefore she wasn't listening to me. She was just uh, she was just asking the question, but not hearing the answer. Why? Because she was streaming some other form of audio at that very moment, and it really made me think about this picture in my mind, another angle of Pharaoh's heart. You see, God's patiently dealing with him. God's communicating the answer to him. God's giving him what he needs to know, but Pharaoh is drowning it out with other sounds, with other opinions, with other ideas, um, and ultimately with his own pride. And so keep that in mind as we now look into this fifth plague, and see what the Lord is doing. And we're going to notice three attributes of the Lord. Uh, we're going to see the hand of the Lord in verses 1 through 3. We'll see the heart of the Lord in verses 4 and 5. And finally, we'll see the holiness of the Lord in verses 6 and 7. Um, so let's walk through this, and we'll, um, we'll go from there. The reason for this entire discussion really is embedded in verse 2. Uh, we, we see these key words, if and still, if you refuse to let them go and still hold them. This is God desiring to show mercy. In other words, he's giving another ultimatum to Pharaoh saying, if you still refuse. Um, but then we have this phrase, the hand of the Lord. Verse three, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. And then we'll see how that falls. This is the first time in scripture the hand of the Lord is mentioned. First time this phrase is used. Uh, we saw the finger of the Lord back in Exodus chapter 8 verse 19. 
but now we see the hand of the Lord in chapter 9, verse 3. See, a finger can be used to point things out. It can be used, like we, we mentioned before, for a parent to identify or for a direction to be indicated. But when a hand is used, it's really speaking not of a direction as much as of power. It's not of necessarily just precision, but power. Uh, I'm not saying there isn't precision in the power of God. There certainly is, and we see the precision even in this in this account because his precision where not one of the livestock among the children of Israel is going to die. That's precise power. But the point being is when a hand is used, there tends to be more that metaphor of strength that is behind it. Um, I, I do marvel to consider that later on in Psalm 75, verse 8, and in uh, Isaiah 51, 17, the hand of the Lord is spoken of again, but this time in the hand of the Lord, there is wrath. There's the cup of wrath that the wicked are to drink to the dregs. And of course, I am in that classification, or I should say I, I was, um, as far as positionally, in that classification of the wicked. But what do we see in that hand of the Lord? There was a cup of wrath here. The hand of the Lord is pouring out wrath on the children of Egypt, if I can say it like that, but more so on Pharaoh, on his throne. And, and yet, understand this, that the very hand of the Lord that holds that cup of wrath is the very one that sent his son to this world and his hands didn't hold the cup of wrath, but held the nails in his hands. And why is that so significant? Oh, it's significant because what does Titus chapter 3 verse 5 say? He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, I was the wicked, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, the amazing thing about him saving us, he saves the children of Israel but you know the very next time that this phrase is going to be used? This is interesting. It's used in chapter 16, verse 3, when the children of Israel say, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Can you imagine the very next time the hand of the Lord is mentioned, it's in a complaining spirit saying, we wish the hand of the Lord was against us. My friends, do not ever wish for that. For in the hand of the Lord, there is this cup of wrath, but that cup of wrath was given to his son, Jesus Christ. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ never said, Lord, if it be your will, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass, for, or let this cross pass from me. He only said, let this cup pass from me. Yes, the cross was terrible. But many have died the death of a cross, but only one drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs, and that was Jesus Christ, and he did it on your behalf and on mine, on behalf of the wicked. And why? So that we can forever enjoy his mercy, the hand of the Lord. But here we see the hand of the Lord is about to be poured out, or is about to be unleashed, I should say, in its strength. And so there's a few different things we want to note about the hand of the Lord. First, the torment. What is the torment that's going to be inflicted? Well, what was this plague about? The phrase used here, deber kaved meod, that's the actual phrase, but it's a, uh, th this um, heavy heart is going to, the heavy heart of Pharaoh is going to get a heavy hand because there's some nuances when it comes to this plague. But I want you to understand it, it's, it's uh, giving a couple adjectives to describe a word that we're not sure exactly what it is. Um, I'll explain. The ESV NASB translates that phrase as a very severe plague. 
The NLT says a deadly plague. The NIV says a terrible plague. The NKJV says a very severe pestilence. The KJV says a very grievous moraine. Moraine. It's not meringue. It's moraine. Moraine um, was an epidemic pestilence. Um, and our English word moraine actually comes from the French word mourir, which is to die. Um, from the great word moreno. It just keeps going, right? To grow lean, to waste away. So think about it. It's this wasting away. Um, George Bush, commentator, not a former president. George Bush noted, it is with it is with us applied to a particular contagious disease among cattle, the symptoms of which are a hanging down and a swelling of the head, abundance of gum in the eyes, rattling in the throat, difficulty of breathing, palpitation of the heart, staggering a hot breath, a shining tongue, all which symptoms prove that a general inflammation has taken place. I don't know. I'm giving you these things to, again, paint imagery that is out there when it's trying to describe the word being used. But what I want us to understand is this is from God and it's intense. The hand of the Lord is administering it and it is a pestilence that is going to kill the livestock of the Egyptians. With that being said, the hand of God is also clearly evidenced in the sense that this is not a random thing happening in um, because of the other plagues. It's not just something natural. It's not a natural occurrence. Again, like we've seen, many scholars want to say, this happened because this happened, and this happened because this happened. So, you know, the, all these animals are, are going to die because of bacteria feeding on dead frogs and fish would spread an infestation um, of biting flies, and then this would lead to the death of animals. Anyway, whatever the point is, that's not what we see here. The hand of God evidenced has a few different um, ways we could look at it. It's evidenced by the day. It took place on the appointed day. In other words, the Lord says very specifically, tomorrow, tomorrow this is going to happen, verse 5. Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing. It's also evidenced by the devastation. All the cattle in the fields of Egypt died. The degree of devastation, that which Egypt had never seen. But not just by the day and the devastation, but also by the distinction. And you knew that one was coming. Distinction. None of the livestock of the children of Israel died. So we see this is the torment being poured out on Egypt. But we also see the target. What's the target? Well, verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. So what was God targeting? I mean, I just read it. But what does that mean? A bunch of animals? No, it's far more than a bunch of animals that God is targeting. The, this is a key question because I believe that whatever he's targeting here in plague number five, he's also targeting in your life and in mine. So let's look into it. First, God is targeting their pocketbook. God's targeting their pocketbook, their finances, their economy, their source of comfort in many ways. Why do I say that? Well, look what it says. A severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field in the field um, and then again even later on we have the flocks um, we have the herds this is very particular specific language that has to do with the food sources the meat sources in this country um, and so we see very clearly that their pocketbook is being attacked um, this is no longer about their physical comfort biting flies sure um, those gnats whatever they might have been sure 
Having um, frogs in your kitchen, yeah, uncomfortable. Blood in the Nile, not nice. But now it's another whole level. This is not just about uh, their physical comfort. This is about their economy. This is about so much more heavy death of what they value. But not just their pocketbook. This is also, the target is also on their power, on their power. Why do I say that? Well, notice again, the livestock that are in the field, the horses. Horses were animals for battle. This is about their military might. God is targeting their very power, their military. Um, in fact, this is the first time that a horse is mentioned, a creature for which Egypt and Arabia were extremely famous still today. When I, when I spend time in the Middle East, um, horses are a valued creature, and riding horses is something um, very special. The Hebrew word for horse, which is used, sus, it signifies to be active, brisk, skip, lively. Um, it, it, horses were, were revered in many ways. In fact, uh, uh, they were even dedicated to the sun, and maybe that's one reason that God forbid them um, to the children of Israel. I don't know. Maybe he just forbid them because he didn't want them to trust in horses and in chariots, of which is exactly in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Exodus 15, verse 1, when the children of Israel pass through the Red Sea, what is the very first thing they say in, the, in that song they sing? Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And so we see pocketbook power being targets. Thirdly, we see projects being targeted. Well, how are projects targeted? It's just a list of animals. Well, it says the donkeys. Donkeys are a beast of burden. They carry heavy loads. Certainly they were used in project management. And so we see even their projects are being targeted. And then, of course, we see pantheism, pantheism being targeted, the gods of Egypt. Every single plague, we will come back to this, gods are being targeted. There were a large number of bulls and cows considered sacred in the land of Egypt. In central areas of the Delta, four provinces specifically, they chose as their emblems various types of bulls and cows. In fact, there even in Memphis, Egypt, there's this necropolis of sacred bulls that was discovered. But anyway, it, it was a place known for its worship of the uh, Ptah and also a sacred apis bull. Um, there's so much behind this, actually. There's a whole process of, of how they would have the sacred apis bull. Very interesting. They only have one at a time. And then when that one would die, it was actually um, mummified and put in a tomb. And then how they chose the next one, it, it, it was an attraction. And so many people would come for this choosing. And the bull had to have like 28 distinctive marks and whatnot. Anyway. There's a bunch to it. The point is they revered these creatures. Um, another deity whose worship would have been impacted by the death of these animals was Hathor, who, of course, is uh, one of the 42 state gods or goddesses of Egypt, one of the most popular and powerful. When you go to Egypt still today, you see Hathor on many things. Um, and, and so she's the goddess of love, beauty, and joy, but she was represented by the cow. The point being is this is going to target so much of their pantheistic worldview and showing the powerlessness of their gods. Um, there is certainly more we could discuss, like Menevis and whatnot, but let's just leave it there. You get the point. So you see that their, their pocketbook, power, projects, and pantheism was all targeted um, in this portion, the hand of the Lord. But then there was one more thing, not just the torment and the target, but there was also the timing. And what was the timing? Well, the timing was tomorrow, tomorrow, a very specific timing that their 
peace would be grabbed away from them. Um, man, there's so much on this that I just want to make mention of, but let me just say a few things before we move on to the second point. In Job 12, verses 9 and 10, um, it, it reads, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. I want to ask a question. Where do we look for, for peace? Are we, um, we see his timing is it's going to happen tomorrow. In other words, it's immediate. So are you willing to relinquish finding your peace in your pocketbook, finding your peace in your pantheistic worldview or in the projects you have or in the power you think you, you, you wield, um, the reality is how desperately we need to find our peace in the only source of true peace, and that is the Lord Jesus. I love Isaiah 26.3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you know what that says in the Hebrew? It literally says, You keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on you. You keep him in shalom, shalom. That's how Hebrew emphasizes. It doesn't really say perfect peace. just says peace, peace. There's a peace that passes understanding. And that peace is only found in Jesus Christ, not in an abundant pocketbook, not in a powerful military, not for sure in your projects, and certainly not in the gods of this world, but only in the Lord Jesus. And so this brings up the second point, not just the hand of the Lord, but the heart of the Lord, the heart of the Lord. Notice again in verse 4, it says that the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. This is the second of seven uses of this word, pala, which means to set apart, to make a distinction. But the word can also mean, are you ready? Wonderful or wondrously. This very word, pala, it means to be distinct separate, set apart, different, to be selected, to be distinguished, to mark something as different from something else and to deal differently with it. So where else is it used in scripture? Well, I'll give you a couple examples. Psalm 17 verse 7, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Speaking of the hand of the Lord, but where is that word? Wondrously that's the word to make a distinction. Make a distinction in showing your steadfast love, O Savior. Another example of it is a verse many of you are very familiar with. Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That's our word again. Distinction. Wonderfully made. Wonderfully. You're distinctly made. You're set apart. There is an intention of holiness. That's our word, pala. So when we see him say tomorrow, this timing that I didn't talk about yet, but I just mentioned there's a timing of it. Tomorrow, well, how can we miss the patience of God? It's so evident. Why does God say tomorrow? There's a very interesting study, I think, that is useful to do. I'm going to briefly give you some nuggets of my own study on it, but I encourage you go and look into it further and you'll be deeply blessed. But this word tomorrow appears, um, well, let's say this is the third time we've seen it. It was previously mentioned in Exodus chapter 8, verse 10, and again in Exodus chapter 8, verse 29. The first time it's associated um, with Pharaoh, uh, or I should say it's associated with Pharaoh, but in each case, 
um, he misuses his tomorrow, his opportunity to repent. So uh, look at him. In 8.10, Pharaoh says tomorrow. Why does he say tomorrow? That's the plague of the frogs. He says it in the light of procrastination. Maybe you remember that. If not, please go back and listen to plague number two, that episode, and you'll see very clearly he says tomorrow as a form of procrastination. In 829, it's not Pharaoh saying it, it's Moses saying it. He says tomorrow. But why does he say tomorrow? Well, go to chapter 8, verse 29. Look at he says it as a prayer. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you. I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Moses is praying for Pharaoh. It's still in relation to Pharaoh, but he's praying for him. So first we have procrastination, Pharaoh, prayer. Moses, but now the Lord is going to say it in chapter 9, verse 5. The Lord says, tomorrow, specifically says, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Well, what is it showing? Not procrastination. It's not a prayer, but it's patience. It's the patience of God. Why does God say tomorrow? Well, I believe he says tomorrow because he says today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of turning. Pharaoh, I'm giving you another opportunity to turn, to step off the throne of your life, to relinquish the reins of control. And let me tell you, God's been showing patience to you and to me too. He's been showing patience to this world. But remember this, 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And remember verse 2, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, verse 2 of, that is Exodus chapter 9, if you refuse, still hold them. The patience of God. Now, if you went over to Psalm 90, you would see that in the Lord's eyes, a thousand years is like a day, and a day like a thousand years, um, which means when the Lord says, hey, just a second, that's four days which is a fun correlation, by the way, to John chapter 11. But the point being is that the Lord gives another opportunity to turn. I believe right now, as you're listening to this podcast, the Lord's giving you another opportunity to turn. I'm not saying you're not a believer. You may have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and and you're saved. You don't need to be saved again. Once you're the Lord's, you're forever the Lord's. But Perhaps you need to turn, turn from sin in your life, turn from disobedience, turn from compromise. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit will show you that. Because remember, there are consequences for disobedience to the word of the Lord. And so we see the hand of the Lord, but then we see the heart of the Lord. And the heart of the Lord is a patient heart desiring for men to be saved. But the third thing we see is the holiness of the Lord the holiness of the Lord. And what is the holiness of the Lord? Well, we know he sets this distinction, but look at verse 6. The next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Now, in case you're like struggling and wondering, um, How do all the livestock die here, but then there's going to be livestock mentioned later on? We'll get to that when we come to livestock later on, just so you know we're not just skipping over 
maybe certain struggles or wrestling matches you're having with the text. But for right now, that's not where we want to focus. Um, in Psalm 111, verse 7, we read, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Matthew 5.18 tells us, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In Luke 21.33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What do we see here? And the next day, verse 6, the Lord did this thing. The Lord's words are sure, my friends. Jesus Christ is coming again. It is true that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There is no doubt. But the question is, will we respond? Will we respond to the word, to the heart of God, or to the hand of God? Don't lose sight of sin's consequences. See, Pharaoh received the warning, but his hardness of heart, well, it, it, it remained. And then what happened? It impacted so many. It doesn't just impact Pharaoh. It impacts the entire land. I think about the Lord in all of this. You might say, well, it was nothing for the Lord to pour out um, his power on the land. But this is the Lord's creation. He cares about his creation. He cares about this world, and he cares about the souls in this world. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11 say, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Joel 1.18 is potent. It says, How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. We have language being used to describe a suffering creation. Of course, in Romans 8, we know that all creation groans. Longing for what? It longs for that ultimate redemption. What I want you to see here is God is intimately involved in his world, in his creation. So much so that there's coming a day as we walk through this book that he becomes part of it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And why? He dwelt among us so ultimately we could forever dwell with him. He came to redeem us, to come between us and the curse, between us and the plague. When you get to the book of Revelation, you're going to see mirrored very closely to the plagues of Egypt. These types of plagues poured out on the world as those bowls are poured out in wrath. And friends, who's it poured out on? Those who still reject what God has to offer, still reject his word. But I'm so thankful that his word isn't just what was written. His word is the one who came and who fulfilled the word perfectly so that by believing in his name, we might have life and life forevermore. Now this account, this portion ends on a tragic note. You might say, all right, so what did Pharaoh do? Well, instead of repent, Look what Pharaoh did in verse 7. He sent someone to go check on the livestock of Israel just to see if it was so. He wanted to see, well, did it really happen like that? We, all of our livestock's dying. What about theirs? And you know, he goes, he sees, and then he rationalizes. I don't know what he rationalized. Maybe he thought, ah, oh, they just have a better land. Or maybe their their veterinarians are, are, are better than ours. Or, or maybe it was just a, a very geographic thing, which it was, but it was because God poured it out on them. No doubt Pharaoh was convicted in some way. After all, he wanted to see if what God had said had really happened, but he ignores conviction. So I want to close by asking you, how often do you ignore conviction 
How often do you ignore conviction and choose disobedience or choose not to obey? My friends, please, let's not rationalize away God's truth. Let's not try to explain why it was for some other context, some other culture. But rather, as we come and we hear God's word, may we be those who say, What you have said, I will do. I will not lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge you. And thank you that you promised to direct my path. Now, we're out of time. But I encourage you to go online and check out www.intoyourbible.org or um, share our resources with others, and I pray that that will be a blessing to you and to them. But remember, this has been Into Your Bible, and this is a place where we seek a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Thanks for listening to Into Your Bible, the podcast, an extension of the ministry of Rock International. This is a place where we dive into the Holy Bible, seeking a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Wherever you listen, subscribe to not miss an episode. And if you want to take things a step further, leave a review so others can find it too. For free resources, show notes, and more, check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org. Until next time, keep diving in.